Welcome to the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast. We are your hosts, Michael and Lauren Falk. We are physical therapists, athletic trainers, and strength and conditioning coaches at Kinetic Sports Medicine and Performance. We will be talking all things related to athletic performance for Milwaukee area athletes. Sports medicine, performance training, sports nutrition, recovery, and sports coaching. There's a lot of misinformation and myths surrounding athletic performance and injuries. This podcast is designed to bring current, factual, and evidence-based information to Milwaukee area athletes. Welcome to the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Falk, and I am joined by Jack Hackett. Jack was an exercise physiology major and collegiate runner at Marquette University for four years, where he ran cross-country and the distance events in track. Following his time at Marquette, he continued to train and run professionally for a brief period of time before an injury kept him from going further. Beyond running, Jack has worked at Performance Running Outfitters as the sales and staff training director and recently started his own company, Infinity Run Co. Follow him on at Infinity Run Co on Twitter or Instagram, or look him up at infinityrunco.com. He designed this company to help people run faster, run better, and overall to help the improve, help to improve the sport of distance running. So Jack, I'd like to give you the opportunity to tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself, who you are, where you came from, and what got you to where you are today. Uh, well, I fell in love thanks to running, uh, or I fell in love with running thanks to the neighborhood kids. Uh, basically, we were all hanging out, and eventually one day they weren't there anymore, and I followed them to <laughs> cross-country practice and realized, oh, this isn't so bad. This is kind of fun. Uh, after a while, I started really getting hooked and eventually dropped all the other sports and just became a runner at the end of high school. I was pretty fortunate where we had a phenomenal team that was all bought in together, uh, and we had some pretty good success that led me to eventually come to Marquette University. And I started out as a, you know, uh, physiology pre-med major thinking, oh, like running school, but, you know, I want to do something else. Uh, and then eventually that shifted to where I was an exercise physiology major. I wanted to, I wanted to be a college coach. Uh, and then I realized that that lifestyle isn't always the, the best, uh, <laughs> And then kind of from there, uh, fell into this running store as a part-time gig while I was going to try and start my professional running career. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I realized pretty quickly after not having the support of athletic trainers like Lauren here, uh, (laughs) that things can fall apart if you're not taking care of yourself. Mm -hmm. And then I had an injury, stepped away from running for a while, and uh, just needed some time to kind of digest everything. And Eventually, I realized what I did wrong, and, and I realized I could help people by <laughs> explaining that. and Learning from your mistakes, if you will, or yeah. learning from your training. Yeah, exactly. There was a whole bunch of things I didn't do, and, and you know, things like strength training, things like the, the massage. Uh, yeah, there's just a lot that I was missing that, that I now realize I could have been a lot better of a runner if I, I had known these things. So mm-hmm. that's kind of my mission is to help put that out into the world. Rumor has is you picked up soccer a little bit in your time away from running. Yeah, so I did uh, pick up soccer for a while, thanks to my college roommate, who, <laughs> who Lauren knows quite well. Uh, I was not very good at it, but I was able to run circles around people, so I was able to, to not embarrass myself completely. The irony is is that his roommate was a men's soccer player at Marquette who turned runner, 
and Jack was runner turned soccer player. <laughs> so the tables flipped. So what position did you play mostly? I ran around a lot. <laughs> no specific assignment. fluid would be better. You were the distraction. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love it. So now that you've gotten it started with Infinity Run Co., you're getting off the ground and you're seeing a bunch of different people. Who are some of the people that you work with? What are some of their goals that you're helping them achieve? We just want to get an idea of kind of the landscape of what you're doing right now. Yeah, it's it's surprisingly broad. When I started it, I thought I would be working mostly with, you know, just post-collegiate, sub-elite type people trying to chase Olympic trials qualifiers. I was the first person I started really working with. Uh, but now at this point, it's uh, I've got high school kids that are trying to break five minutes for the mile for the first time. I've got high school girls that are just trying to run healthy for the, the first time in a long time. I've got uh, people in their 50s that are trying to qualify for the Boston Marathon. It, the real kind of thing underpinning everyone is just that they're taking it seriously and they want to improve and they want to know how to, to improve and to run their best. Get some structure to what they're trying to do. Yeah, exactly. I think a lot of people just need some guidance and and some accountability. That ends up being a lot of it. Absolutely. So the Milwaukee Marathon is coming up. What should my training look like? And I'm not training for the Milwaukee Marathon, by the way. I'm saying this <laughs> hypothetically. Um, I don't have enough hours in the day yet. Um, but what are what should my training look like? What are some common errors that you see for people who are training for events like this? You know, what is some of your thought process when you're looking at that? So I think the, I guess the biggest mistake I see, and, and this is from the people that come to me to work, is that they have a very structured plan. And that's great to have a plan. You do need to have a plan, but then people end up being almost too rigid in it. Well, my plan says I have to run 16 today, but my shin hurts. Well, I did it anyway, and now I blew up. Well, okay. <laughs> uh, so having some flexibility in your plan yeah. is very important. Uh, so typically what I'll do with, with an athlete is we'll map out from here to the goal event and we'll have the general ideas and themes that we're trying to work on. But each week is going to kind of change and ebb as, as things happen. I mean, our, our life is stressful and it's not separate from our athletic pursuits. If you are a mother, a you know, vice president of sales, if you're whatever it is, your your life affects your running and vice versa. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I'm sure you get this comment often and I do too, because I obviously treat a lot of runners and I always want to know outside of for my people, them getting healthy, you know, what are their overall goals? And it never fails. Everyone always says, oh, I want to get faster. I want to improve my times. And, you know, is there a magic bullet? I don't think so. You know, and do I just sit there and think happy thoughts? No, there's a lot that can really go into it from a structured standpoint, a programming standpoint. So from your concept as a coach, if someone comes to you saying, I want to improve my times, what are you thinking? What are you laying out for them as a plan? What is kind of your thought process when someone says that to you? So first off, I'd say I don't want to discount happy thoughts too much. <laughs> There's actually a bunch of studies that show smiling improves performance, improves, or, uh, improves endurance. Uh, so let's not discount that completely. So I should add that into my training regimen more often. Yes. Okay. Uh, it turns out that 
Uh, when men in lab coats tell women to smile more, it doesn't always go over well. There's an outsized effect with men in those studies, but that's an interesting aside. Uh, but to get faster, basically what it, it comes down to is you have to do something different than you were doing before if you want to get faster. We have to uh, embarrass ourselves a little bit to run faster. And by that, I don't mean you have to, you know, Pull your pants down or something like that. <laughs> yeah, you, you can. Uh, you just have to go and get yourself a little bit uncomfortable so mm -hmm. that you can do something more. So for a lot of athletes, uh, there's a few common things that I think everyone can do. Yeah. Uh, so sprinting all out. It doesn't matter if you're running a marathon. Sprinting all out is one of the best things that you can do. It's one of the best core exercises, uh, and it's something that people just don't do often enough. I know a marathon's a longer, slower event, but it helps if you can run faster. Uh, sprinting also helps, and, and Lauren, you can attest to this too, but it helps recruit a lot more muscle fibers. Absolutely. It helps basically wake them up uh, so that you can use them for easier efforts going forward. Absolutely. Uh, so I think that, and then doing that uphill is, is an awesome thing. Uphill running is going to help reinforce biomechanics. It's going to help kind of reinforce power development, mm -hmm. something that's important for, for all athletes. It doesn't really matter what the, the distance is. I love hill sprints. I really feel like it helps clean up someone's form without them really knowing it too because it really enhances that knee drive. They have to pick up their foot. They really have to push that hill away. So I think mechanically too, it actually does some learn. It has a learning effect too in terms of how you're executing that motion and things like that too. So side benefit to that as well. I would agree with that 100%. The other thing I think, and uh, I know I've got a kindred spirit here with me, is strength <laughs> training is yes. so important. Uh, Runners can really definitely benefit from this. They've shown uh, strength training even just once a week has a 4% uh, gain in running economy. So that that's huge right there. People that strength train are injured less often. Yeah. Uh, you know, that benefit and that stimulus is different than what you're going to get from running more. And I would take that trade-off of a little bit more aerobic stimulus, especially if you're training for a marathon, you're already running plenty, getting plenty of aerobic stimulus. But if you can get... A different kind of stimulus you'll respond more from that when I think and you can maybe talk to this too Jack a little bit that culturally in the running world for many many years strength training was like very you don't do that you know because they're worried about will they get too big or will you lose the benefits of your running training things like that and there's actually been a ton of great research out in the last five or so years that has really shown that a actually because you're doing so much aerobic work it is very hard to get bigger, literally physically change your size. You shut off the pathways that, that produce exactly. the hypertrophy. Exactly. And it's also seen that people are not losing those endurance benefits that they have gotten from their aerobic training just because they're adding that strength training in. And I completely agree. Injury rates go down when you're stronger. You're able to control your body more. You're also able to propel yourself more efficiently. You know, there are a lot of side benefits to it. So I could completely see where that plays a role in improving your times. Because ultimately, the stronger you are, the more efficient you are, right? Usually. Yeah. I mean, that, that goes kind of hand in hand. If you want to run faster, you have to push the ground harder mm -hmm. so you fly further. That's kind of a simplistic view of it. But yeah, you need to get stronger. Yep. And I guess ultimately, this very simplest form of it, if I hear what you're saying, is that, you know, you need to induce change. If whatever you're doing right now is not getting you faster, you need to induce change. And so whatever change that is, whether it's adding in that strength training, speed training, kind of that overtraining concept, things like that, but that you need to get, to out, get outside of what you're currently doing to make something else happen. 
Yeah, I think the simplest thing I can think of is my high school coach used to, to yell at us, you know, long, slow runs makes long, slow runners. And yeah. Especially we were trying to run faster, so we had to run faster to get faster. Yep, to be fast, you got to move fast, right? Yeah, something like that. Absolutely. Simple and easy words to live by. So kind of flipping themes from looking at improving performance, you know, the flip side of that is also recovery. And what are some of the things from your coaching perspective that are important to understand about recovery for runners? So the biggest thing, and, and I, I don't even think necessarily that there are two different concepts, and I know you're kind mm-hmm. of saying that they're very much related, but is is the recovery side is sleep. Sleep is, there's a study, the number one predictor of injury uh, amongst a huge cohort of athletes across various sports was getting less than eight hours of sleep. You know, there's this idea that some people don't need eight hours of sleep, Sure, but if you look at, there's another study where people that normally slept seven or eight hours, but slept two hours more, were actually performing better in physical and mental tests. Mm. So uh, having extra sleep isn't going to hurt you. It's only going to help you. Yeah, uh, It's an investment in yourself to take that time and to sleep. Uh, I, I really can't stress sleep enough. That's the number one thing I kind of hit on with athletes. Absolutely. Uh, the other big thing too is is nourishing yourself, uh, eating real foods. I'm not a dietitian or a nutritionist, so I can't give any specific planning advice. But eating whole foods that are real, that are balanced, that have multiple colors, that aren't bought from the store shelves but are fresh, mm-hmm. that goes a long ways too. They say the the saying that I like is eat a rainbow often, meaning there should be a lot of different colors on your plate, and a if lot you're of doing skills. that. Yep, and if you're doing that, you're doing all right. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's good advice. What are other things that you can do? Like I, you know, I train a lot of runners, and we have to train in different types of recovery runs and things like that. How do you utilize those or manipulate those as part of that aspect of your training as well? Yeah, so there's some really cool ideas around something called split recovery runs. So okay. essentially. Uh, let's say you were normally gonna go for a six mile medium run Mm -hmm. for that that easy day. But then instead doing two three mile runs that day and splitting that run up with a couple hours break, they've shown that the first 20 or so minutes of a run is when you get the most HGH, testosterone, all these kind of good recovery hormones. Most of that kind of peaks through that first 20 minutes and then it kind Mm -hmm. of falls off a cliff. So if you can do that twice in that day, you get the same volume. You also get a lot less kind of glycogen depletion uh, plus you get those hormones twice throughout the day. And I've, I've found a ton of success with this so far with, with a lot of athletes uh, is doing these split recovery runs. Hmm. So that's kind of one of my favorite things to play with. It's very interesting. I've, I've, that's actually fairly new to me, and I actually think that's really fascinating. Honestly, for me as a runner too, like when you have limited time, if you're also telling me I could still get my full recovery in, but I could do like a quick run in the morning and a quick run in the evening, and I'm still accomplishing the end result. You know, that's actually maybe even makes it a little bit more feasible for me to actually follow through on those types of needs versus just focusing on a training run only, but looking at how I can build that into my daily structure a little bit better too. Yeah, that makes makes sense for, for that busy person too that's working the nine to five. You might not have an hour and a half to de- dedicate in the morning, but you could find half an hour before and half an hour after, and yeah. you might even get a benefit because of that. Very interesting. So part of our goal with this, as we've told our listeners, is that we want to help. I mean, we've been, all this stuff is very helpful in education, but we also want to also dispel some myths. I think that there's a lot out there, as you know, about any sport and any training tactic 
that there's a lot out there and how do we know right from wrong? Who knows? But there definitely is, you have become an expert in this field. There are always some outliers that you really see are things that are important to better educate the people around you and that you're educating your clients on um, that I think are important for us to address. And there are also things that cross my path too as I'm treating athletes as well. So I think one of my first ones is um, foot strike position. I know, heel strike, forefoot, midfoot, what's the answer? What's your answer, Coach Jack? Well, so if you've read Born to Run, then you are utterly convinced that you should land up on your forefoot. that's what I do. That's what I learned. That's what I was told was the gold standard. I've done that, and I've had nothing but calf issues in my whole running career. <laughs> so, uh, you know, from that small personal experience, what uh, uh, the research actually shows is that it doesn't really matter how your forefoot or how your foot strikes. Uh, if you look at the 2017 marathon championships, 65% plus of the runners heel struck. Mm-hmm. If born to run was so right that running natural was the most powerful, efficient way, do you really think that two thirds of the championship runners would be landing on their heels? No. Uh, what I think is really the key is not so much how your foot strikes, but where your foot strikes in regards to your center of gravity. Absolutely. I, I could totally agree with that. You know, there's been a lot of studies over um, pain and running. And they're finding, some of them are trying to suggest that midfoot striking is what decreases pain. But when you look at the images and the data of where that foot is striking, basically a heel striker usually tends to strike further out, like someone who's a very solid heel striker that I think that is commonly corrected in the literature is that the problem is that the heel striker is commonly the person that puts their foot way out in front of them and then pulls themselves forward. And as they go through a research study, that midfoot strike, you're just not reaching your leg out as far. So the midfoot strike happens more below your center of mass, which I think is actually what more correlates with that decreased pain that they're finding in the research is that people are striking below their center of mass, which lines their leg up in a better position and things like that. And you could probably strike to you could probably talk to the mechanics of what's happening with those heel striking or foot striking positions, but more in relationship to the center of mass. Yeah, what they've shown is is actually horizontal loading is the best predictor of, of injury and pain. That yeah. vertical loading, you think jumping up and down, you could do that in theory for all day. Your Achilles mm-hmm. might blow up because it's not used to that. Yeah. <laughs> but that your body's very adept at absorbing that shock vertically. Mm-hmm. It's that horizontal decelerative stress that that's the bone, you know, having to absorb and take decrease that, that vibration. So that's when that, that leg gets out in front of you, you exactly. have to take on more stress that way. Yeah, and that horizontal, that slowing down, it's also poor for performance, is having that where your forefoot or your foot uh, strikes way out in front of you, it slows you down. And it also lowers your cadence. Because you're um, having to work harder, you're kind of essentially decelerating yourself before you have to accelerate yourself, right? Exactly. What I like to tell all of my athletes is that running well is actually a controlled free fall where you're using that energy to kind of just fall forward and push that ground behind you. And mm-hmm. the idea is you don't fall flat on your face, but you keep pushing the ground in front of you and, or behind you and you get faster. Yeah. And um, you and I were talking about this earlier, but there's a ton of research that shows that, you know, because a lot of people got into this concept of I have to change the way I strike my foot, so on and so forth. And so you, know, you sit here and think, okay, hit here, hit here, hit here. That there's actually very limited turn or um, carryover from someone coaching you of how to strike your foot or where to strike your foot. Like that, there's probably only maybe a 10% maximum carryover of someone actually being successful at 
taking that thought and applying it in a very direct fashion like that. So it sounds like a lot of people are putting forth these efforts with probably not a lot of reward anyways. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I, I found in, in my own coaching too that gait retraining isn't necessarily, I think the best word for it is sticky. It doesn't stick around that yeah. much. You can induce a change so that in the laboratory you can change and, and edit or I kind of see a change in how they're striking and how they're absorbing that force, but it doesn't stick around. And, and kind of how I view gait retraining is a lot more that how you run is a product of a lot of different you know, inputs. And if we get stronger, then that changes the input and you can run a lot more efficient when you're stronger. That ties back to that strength training is mm -hmm. why that's so important is that that can change how you run because yeah. you don't have to kind of coast uh, and reach out in front of you as far you can push further behind you because yeah. you have more force. It's interesting that you say that because, you know, I treat runners, but I don't claim to be a running coach by any sense of the idea. But what I have noticed is that as I've worked with getting my runners stronger, obviously adjusting their injury, but getting them stronger, looking at their early assessment video and looking at their post assessment video, watching just how their stride has adapted without me ever telling them what to do. But you notice that that person who strikes way out in front of themselves is now striking below themselves, or you see more action on the back end of their stride or things like that. I think it's just fascinating to step back and watch since I'm not directly coaching it, but very interesting to see that anecdotally, you can see those changes occur more naturally and organically without me actually saying, do this, do this, do this. So kind of just very interesting nonetheless. But I think it's, I think your point is much appreciated that, you know, there's not one right way to do it, but that there's probably a better way to utilize your body more efficiently and thus the right position will work for you kind of thing. Yeah, they've shown uh, that elites have a lot lower uh, variability in a lot of these kind of running things is because, and, and even, or I guess elites have it within their own selves, even though they might see something that looks kind of funky, they're actually still very mechanically efficient, even though they have a hitch in their stride, but it's because they figured out, well, yeah, my one leg is longer than the other, so I have to kind of operate this way. There's no ideal perfect running form, unless you're Hikam El Garouge, but that's its own story. <laughs> or if you're Kenyan and then you just fly. Yeah. <laughs> so unfortunately we weren't all blessed with those genes. So we'll go with, you know, kind of working on that, what works best for you kind of thing. Um, so going from foot position, that kind of actually naturally transitions into the concept of cadence, because I know kind of previously people used to say, well, if you want to adjust the way you strike, we'll just up your cadence to X, Y, and Z, and then it'll move quicker, and then you're naturally going to hit a different way. So oftentimes those things kind of go together in terms of how someone's getting coached to do it. But I want you to separate that a little bit and just talk to us about cadence, because as you know, it's something that we commonly measure all the time. Everyone wants to check out their watch and tell you what their cadence is, so on and so forth. From a coaching perspective, tell me your thoughts on cadence. So cadence is definitely linked to foot strike in the sense that for that person that's got a really low cadence, heel striking, reaching out way in front of them. If you increase their cadence, they can't reach out in, in front of themselves as far. So they're striking typically a little bit less on their heel, a little bit yeah. more midfoot. So it's a tool to kind of help them stop that. Exactly. The or Where I start to take issue is this idea that 180 steps per minute. This came about because of Jack Daniels, who's a famed running coach, mm -hmm. written several books. A lot of people do his training plans. Uh, but he noticed at the Olympics that all of these runners were running at least 180 steps per minute, if not way more. 
Uh, so he came up with this magic number, and it somehow has just stuck. Uh, so 180 steps per minute is a good average. There's a, a look at all of these people in the 100-kilometer uh, trail running championships. They measured their uh, their cadence for all these different runners of different heights, different sizes, men, women, everything. Average cadence, 182 steps per minute. Boom, it's proven. 180 steps per minute is the best, right? Well, now if you look at the graph, you see there's a runner that averages 156. Never gets over 160 steps per minute, the whole race. But he finishes within seconds or minutes of the runner that averages 200 steps per minute. Yeah. Well, are they both wrong? Should they both be you know, running 180 steps per minute? Well, no, these guys were in the top 25 at the World Championships for 100 kilometers. Right. So it ends up being a lot more individually tied. Uh, for example, I'm a six foot five guy. My cadence is not 180 steps per minute. Yeah, you have long um, legs. Yeah, that'd I'm be at, crazy <laughs> if you were moving at that cadence. I'm at like 158, and it's also pace dependent. So yeah. I say 158. That's like my average going out for a run pace. If I'm doing a faster race, it'll be it'll 165, up, yeah. something like that. Uh, I've got uh, one of my best athletes is like a five foot. I don't actually don't know how tall he is. Five foot five. Uh, his cadence <laughs> is like. 205 uh, when he's racing. It's so, pretty funny watching you guys run next to each other. I think he takes, it visually looks like he takes two steps for your one at least. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Chase is uh, a lot faster than I am uh, right now, and it's in part because he can move his legs a little bit faster, but yeah. uh, they're not actually that closely linked. <laughs> but it's very specific to your body types. You guys are very different, and so you have to have the stride and cadence that fits you. Yeah, so I would say the kind of take home point is that. Using cadence to run better is uh, it can be a very important thing. They've shown with a lot of people with pain that increasing cadence can lower that. Yeah. It's just make sure that that increase is relative and don't just anchor it to 180 steps per minute. And then also make sure that it's pace dependent. Fair. I appreciate that. So last big myth that we're going to tackle here. Runners and stretching. I have my thoughts on it, but that's from a clinical perspective. So I'm going to let you, as a runner and a running coach, put your thoughts out about running and stretching. So there's so many good places to start, but I, I'll say I didn't really stretch much most of my life, uh, and I felt like that actually benefited me as a runner. The theory is that you need the, you know, think of a rubber band, that you need the tension in there to actually put out force. Mm -hmm. uh, I had this explained to me as a kid and it always stuck, stuck with me, but uh, almost everything we do from running is a positive adaptation. You know, we run, we get more capillaries, we can, you know, throw more, more blood around, we can innervate our muscles a little bit more, we can start to control them better, but we also get tighter. And this is, this is the one bad thing that happens from running. Mm -hmm. So we just have to fight that. If we fight that, then we're fine. Okay, so we get all of these positive adaptations, but then there's this one kind of glaring bad thing. Uh, but it's interesting to see the, the research now that's coming out to support this theory that I had as a kid. Uh, it, it shows basically that stretching can, in some cases, as a whole, be actually less than beneficial. It can be harmful. 
uh, as in that it lowers force production. Uh, and I'm talking mostly about static stretching. I'm not mm-hmm. talking about dynamic flexibility or, or any of these kind of other variables. I think that's still important. Mm-hmm. But the idea of static stretching for a runner. Yeah, so like holding a stretch for 30 to 60 seconds, kind of the classic concept of what we all grew up to think stretching was. Exactly, that, that standard sit and reach presidential fitness test. Yep. Uh, they've shown basically that, that holding a stretch for 30 seconds, you lower force production for that muscle for over an hour, which is pretty wild if you think before your big races, you're sitting there stretching. Reaching for your toes. And all you're doing is just taking seconds off the clock. Yeah. Uh, or adding seconds to the clock, I suppose. Uh, that's not to say, and I think you'd see this in the clinical setting, there are some people where a lack of range of motion is a problem. Is the inhibiting yeah. factor. You know, if you're a goalkeeper or uh, a gymnast, you darn well better be flexible. That's a very important and integral part. Mm-hmm. Uh, or I think of it for a runner, like if your hip is is so tight that you're not able to get full flexibility or range yeah, of motion into the in right there, positions. Exactly. Then then that's where stretching is beneficial. But I think as a whole and as a concept, uh, we should kind of kill it. Yeah. Or use it like if you're addressing a specific deficit and most importantly, probably following activity versus before because you're getting that down-regulated response if you're doing it before your activity. So exactly. using more of those active mobility, getting your heart rate up, getting some functional movement in before you go out for a run or your training run, but nothing where you're excessively stretching to really achieve that length, if you will. Yes, exactly. Uh, and two, another interesting study they looked at stretching before. Okay, yeah, we've just covered this terrible, but after, like, that's important because you'll be less sore. Uh, they've shown that that's that's wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, that has no effect. Yes, and, and I think anything like that, much like heating ice, all the above. Some of those things are just patient specific. If that's what makes you feel better and you feel more recovered, it's specific to you and how your body responds. But that we're kind of seeing that overall, it doesn't have a true effect across the masses. It's just so it's specific to you. And so if you have a certain practice that works for you, that's the best. But ultimately, we're seeing that utilizing that before activity is just now what we once used to think that it was. Yeah, exactly. And, and I don't I don't actively crusade against it no. with people that uh, that feel like they're getting a benefit from it. I'll mm-hmm. just, especially as I'm helping an athlete build a pre-race routine, Absolutely. I try and get that taken out of there because that it, it just isn't helpful. Like Absolutely. I said, with the exception of that person that needs some extra range of motion, then then that can be worth the trade-off of that lesser force production if they're able to run faster. Totally agree. All right. So to finish this off, we have a lightning round of questions that Jack has never seen, that only I have, that are meant to be fun for you to get to know him and for us to uh, finish this off with a bang. So I'm going to start off with an easy one here for you first. Favorite soccer team? Uh, Tottenham Hotspur. Okay. Uh, How many pairs of shoes do you own? Dear God, I think my wife would kill me if she... uh... (laughs) It's probably 40 to 50. Impressive. Uh, Favorite Lululemon clothing item? That's tough. Uh, I'll go with the Metal Vent hoodie. I I really do love the Metal Vent Tech hoodie 2.0. The new version is is very nice. Okay, worth the upgrade. Yeah. Gotcha. Favorite donut? Favorite donut. So, fun story. I was, through happenstance, the first customer at Donut Squad here in Milwaukee. and I still think they're my, my favorites. Uh, I will go with the either the M M&M, and M yeast raised vanilla glazed 
Uh, that's that's probably my favorite. Ooh, that sounds amazing. I'm gluten free, so unfortunately, I don't get to benefit, but I'll take your word for it. Uh, you can take the word favorite in whichever context you would like. Favorite house rehab project, go, since you're an expert at this right now. Yeah, I've helped, well, now flip one and a half houses uh, that I've lived in. Uh, so my favorite thing that, that we did, wow, that's tough. Uh, I think uh, painting. If you just paint a room, it can look brand new. Changes so, the room? Yeah. That's fair. I like that. Okay, controversial question. Should the Nike Vaporflies be banned? No. <laughs> I, I, the issue with that, this is a kind of a fun topic. And I could, This is the lightning round, so I'm taking my time. <laughs> uh, but no, they shouldn't be banned. I'm excited for Saucony just announced they're releasing the Endorphin Pro on 415. New Balance is released or is releasing there. Everyone's coming out with their version of it. This is exciting. Uh, but we'll see. I could be proven really silly this weekend. Uh, <laughs> Fair. Uh, favorite physical therapist? <laughs> wow, this feels like a <laughs> loaded question. A yes, I trip. know. <laughs> I, I will go with Lauren and Michael Falk. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. And the last but most important question: What is one piece of advice that you would give to your younger self, knowing what you know now? Uh. I know. Uh, Maybe she'll let you think about this before. No, that's okay. There, there's so many different things, but uh, at least as far as the running, because I'll stay on, on message and on theme here, I, I wish that I would have known how important strength training was, about kind of the the role that that and recovery plays in performance and realizing that workouts only break you down. You need the sleep and the rest and the recovery to build yourself back up so you can, you can, can do better. So knowing the bigger picture would have helped you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I had a lot left in the tank. I think that's every runner's story is, oh, yeah, I could have been way faster if <laughs> But I, I think that too. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I appreciate that. And it's always good to look back and learn from what you did and adjust that for where you're going and how you're helping those around you. So we want to thank you all for being with us today on the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast. And a special thank you to Jack and uh, introducing Infinity Run Co. to us and our listeners out there. So listen up uh, for next time. Uh, we'll have more coaches on board for you, and we appreciate you listening today. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and learned something new that will help you achieve your goals. If you did, we would love for you to head over to Instagram and search MKE Sports Podcast. Like, follow, or comment on today's episode. If you have questions, comments, topics, or guest suggestions, reach out through that Instagram account. Your feedback will help us make this podcast as relevant and informative as possible. If you have additional time, we'd appreciate your help in spreading this information. If you could head over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review, it will help us spread the word to more athletes in the greater Milwaukee area. Have a great day, and we'll see you next time.